Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Hello everybody and welcome to House of Champions. We're into international football mode and I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Nigel Rio Coca and Mike Lahoud and we'll be picking through all of the best as we look ahead to the Euro 2024 qualifying action getting underway. But before that, don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on our YouTube channel and uh, of course download, follow and leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. And also you can keep it old school as well. Word of mouth share with a friend tell somebody all of that jazz so you know please don't stop them from getting all of their footballing goodness with us guys how are we doing Nigel I'm going to come to you first looking forward to this kind of change of pace from the the club game it's weird it doesn't even feel like it's an international break really and truly it's just been so much football but it's going to be interesting I think that there's going to be a lot of clubs domestically who are going to be worried about this break because of getting to the nitty gritty of the season and not wanting anything to happen to any of their major stars. So that probably is going to be the most interesting part for me. Yeah, you definitely weren't uh, hinting at uh, adding Haaland there, were you? <laughs> Mike Lahoud, how are you doing, my friend? Good to, good to have you on. You're looking forward to this international break? Feels weird that it's uh, yeah. uh, you know already post-World Cup, right? I was thinking the same thing when I woke up today, guys. I It was almost as if, what, only a couple months ago, we were celebrating the World Cup. And I know, JJ, you being in Paris, mourning the World Cup and all France national team fans everywhere. But Mike, JJ's I kinda... from Birmingham, mate. He's, from <laughs> he's French, man. He's, he's French. Birmingham. He's French, man. He's French. Okay, I've he's heard the man Birmingham, French. And uh, you're, you're, only you're, re- you're, re- you're rehashing uh, not even six-month-old family <laughs> traumas. So please, I'm please don't you, rip that scab off. It's still cauterizing. Jake, no, you're no, from Birmingham just... and Mike and I are your only two black friends. Sorry. <laughs> just to put a bow on that, but it, it's, I kind of like it because there's been so many back and forths on storylines, Champions League drama, La Liga drama with El Clasico, Barcelona. We won't even get in the deep end with that one. And now this is a different storyline with international soccer. 
Well, you know what? I'm glad that you mentioned the drama because we're going to get to that in a minute. But let's just have a refresher first. Let's go through what actually, uh, you know, is going to entail the the Euro 2024 qualifying process. So obviously, Germany as hosts automatically qualified. You've then got the 10 groups to decide 20 of the 23 teams that advance to the proper tournament, which means the remaining three places will be decided by UEFA Nations League results. I'm going to come to you first of all, Nigel, for that one. What do you think about the Nations League results being factored into all of this. It's a little bit like what we have going on in the Champions League and Europa League and uh, Conference League, where sort of the winner of the lower tournament gets a place in the the sort of tournament ranked above it in terms of the, uh, you know, sort of the uh, the hierarchy, I guess you could call it. JJ, I'm not going to pretend I'm the smartest man here or the smartest man in the world. I have no bloody idea. Um, I, I just, I just don't know anymore. I'm just being honest. But there's so many rules no, you, with football now. Wrong. Every time a tournament is changing, this happens, that happens. I'm just being very honest. With you. I have no bloody idea anymore because there's just too many rule changes. For you know, me you know that you know these games aren't decided on goals anymore. No, <laughs> decided on sure the corners that you win. Probably, yeah. It won't surprise me if football does that now. Yeah, no, I, you know, I know that they did the Nations League and any Nations League around the world just to give more validation to friendlies because you saw so many teams around the world not playing their best players. But I I just don't get it anymore. I'm with you, Nigel. What I do know about these Euros is these are the same metrics. These are the same format that we saw last time out for Euro 2020 in the in England, I'm also the UK, but in England. So that ended up being a very entertaining Euros. I do like the fact that this gives more of a, a chance for some of the underdogs in Europe to play more of a factor in the European Championship. That is the one caveat of this format. Yeah, and I think that's uh, that's a fair point. And we'll get sort of more into the makeup of some of these qualification groups in a minute. Right now, let's turn to, to the drama. I know that, that Nigel in particular would have been looking forward to this one. So France have made Kylian Mbappe captain. We know that Didier Deschamps has come out and confirmed it. It's not really a surprise given that Hugo Lloris uh, retired in the aftermath of the, the 2022 World Cup and Raphael Varane, who's sort of been a long time vice captain of the French team, uh, has also called time on his international career as well. <clears throat> But then you've got <coughs> this uh, supposed drama between Mbappe and Griezmann, where Griezmann was supposedly in line to be the captain uh, and is now made vice captain. Uh, Mike, do you think it's the right call putting Mbappe ahead of Griezmann? I don't. Um, I, I get where Deschamps is coming from, and I think it's probably down to the personality of Kylian Mbappe first and foremost. We have seen him be the big fish at PSG, and when he doesn't get what he wants, you see, you hear him banging on the drum, and there's a mean side of Mbappe or a different side of Mbappe, if you will. There's no mean or nice, but different side of Mbappe that comes in. I think this is a slight against Antoine Griezmann, and how Griezmann reacts to this will dictate how this French national team, in terms of inside the locker room, does in this Euro qualification. Antoine Griezmann, this guy has done everything for Didier Deschamps. He's played out of position, one of the best players, not even a center midfielder, being asked to play as a box-to-box midfielder. He's played as a number 10 for France. He's had to make way for Mbappe Giroud to play in a back three, three, five-two system, sometimes playing as a striker, sometimes playing an attacking mid. If Griezmann is or continues to be the leader that he has been for France, then I think he'll squash this and he'll be the bigger person moving forward. Well, 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 where to start? For the first time, guys, I think I may, may stay neutral in this, but what? it's hard to. 
I, I, I personally think that Mbappe does deserve it because I think, like, again, the eyes don't lie. Griezmann is a fantastic player. There's no denying that. But what people have to understand is the captain's armband is just a decoration piece. It's more about what goes beyond that. And uh, through my experience in, in uh, my career, I have know that being a captain is more than just having the armband. It's about leadership skills and being out there. And just because you have the armband doesn't mean you're necessarily the captain that the players really believe in. I understand, obviously, Griezmann because of how long he's been in the national team and what he's done that people would say, yeah, he deserves it. Obviously, he's the older, older player as well, but I don't believe in that. I think that Mbappe, from what I've seen in him, he is more of a leader. He's more of a person that can take the burden of the national team. And if the national team don't succeed and the failure that goes with the national team, he'll be a player that can handle it more. I personally think Griezmann, again, fantastic player. But I don't see that leadership quality in him. I don't see that character that can lead and galvanise that dressing room. I think that that dressing room would be more so behind Mbappe than they would be behind Griezmann. So I think personally, it's done right. I also think that he's probably had a big influence from somewhere up in French Football Federation and the whole, let's be real about it, marketing, everything that goes with the modern game of football now plays a part. Mbappe is a player that's marketable around the world and can be more of a representation for France, the nation, than Griezmann can. So that does play a part. There is some politics involved in this decision as well. But still, from everything that I have seen, I don't believe in the whole age factor. I think that there comes to more being a leader and a captain than just having a decoration of the armband. And I just see more of a leadership role in Mbappe than I do in Griezmann. I, I, I think it's interesting you say on. that, but JJ, I know you have a comment to make. You go first. Oh, no, I was just going to say to the to the listeners, you know, keep those comments coming in. We've got Ed going a bit Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> One really boiling hot shout of, uh, of of Adrian Rabio potentially being captain, and then one about Nigel Rio Coca being sort of the standard <laughs> to to which uh, you know captaincy has to to live up to, which I think is a is a fair shout. But there you go, Ed coming up again. Mbappe is definitely no Nigel Rio Coca when it comes to leadership, and I think we can all agree That's on so that. So true, Ed. Just, you're right. Just, just before just before throwing this back to Mike yeah. I'm going to add my two pence in here before World Cup 2022 and I know obviously it's a huge uh, you know stage to step up and deliver on would we have said that Griezmann had that much longer left in his career at the top level because personally I felt that Griezmann was lucky to hold on to his starting 11 place going into that World Cup mm-hmm. now he's just turned 32 uh, you know, and I'm not. I'm not saying that that rules him out from being the captain. In fact, if anything, that could probably be an argument in his favour. Uh, you know, but also at the same time, when you've got somebody like Mbappe, who's already shown that he can lead, both in terms of being a vocal leader and in terms of the example he sets on the pitch, do you really overlook that? Because realistically, if you make Mbappe captain of the French national team now, he's probably not going to hand over that armband until the end of his time with the national team, which logically is at least going to be 10 years long, if not more. So, you know, you could say that Deschamps is making a long-term decision here that, okay, might be undone by a future coach, whoever that might be, Zinedine Zidane, Kof, Kof. But, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, Zinedine, uh, you know, 
Mbappe is French footballing royalty in a similar way to yeah. Zidane, uh, you know, was in his day. And, it, you know, it makes a lot of sense. You know, I think I can see both sides of the, the argument here. Uh, you know, it makes a lot of sense that you make the decision in Mbappe's favour now because he can deliver at this moment in time, but also in the future as well. Whereas with Griezmann, we're really expecting him to play a major role beyond the Euros because at the end of the day, Deschamps is going to oversee the Euros and the World Cup. It's a two-tournament cycle. Are we expecting the same from Griezmann to be part of that? I'm not so sure that we are. Now, that's not to say that Griezmann's not an important figure in the French national team setup. He is hugely important. Had a very good World Cup as well, unexpectedly so. I just think that, you know, for me, I think it's the right call. Uh, you know, I don't think you can guarantee that Griezmann is going to be at that same level much longer. In fact, to be honest, I'd be surprised if he didn't drop off a bit uh, in these qualifiers. But equally, um, you know, I think, you know, big responsibility now comes, uh, you know, for Mbappe. You know, we've shown him without the armband being able to lead the nation. Now he has it. Uh, you know, can he sort of live up to those expectations? You should, you'd suspect that he can. But equally, at the same time, this is also going to be a challenge uh, on those young shoulders. JJ, quick question for you before we shift our focus. What's been the reaction in the French media and amongst the French people to this decision? I mean, there's been speculation that Griezmann, you know, might consider retiring, which I think is a bit silly, really. But, uh, you know, a lot of what you read in the French press is quite silly. Um, you know, there's, I mean, you, you, there's been some people as well suggesting that there's been a bit of disrespect. And that's not just the journalists, that's former players as well. You've got the likes of, uh, you know, Robert Pires coming out, suggesting that it was a, a lack of respect. Uh, you know, and I think as well, you've got to bear in mind, uh, you know, some of the, the players who have sort of, you know, stepped out of the, the international limelight in the last couple of months as well. You know, not just Loris and Varane who were there at the World Cup. You've got Benzema as well. So obviously there's been a lot of debate about sort of what impact, you know, keeping Didier Deschamps on has, has had on this French national team. Let's not forget as well, it was the final act of, of Noel Lecaet's uh, French Football Federation presidency as well. He's now left in disgrace. There's going to be a new president put in place in the summer. Uh, you know, so there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff being said about, uh, you know, the setup in and around the French national team at the moment, not just the French national team. But, I, you know, I'd also say that, you know, making this decision in Mbappe's favor has probably created a bit of positive buzz uh, these last few days. And obviously ahead of the game against the Netherlands at Stade de France to kick off the, the qualifiers, uh, you know, that's probably a good thing to to have to kind of keep that feel good factor going around the team, because let's not forget, you know, nobody expected them to make that deep run to the final, or, or at least not at the beginning of the tournament uh, in Qatar. Uh, you know, and there is, uh, you know, a lot to to feel positive about for, for France moving forward. I mean, you look at some of the talent that's just being added to the squad, uh, you know, and it could be, you know, potentially uh, good times ahead for uh uh, you know, for Le Bleu. And you guys must have loved this as well. I think I dropped the video into the chat the other day. Lilian Turam sending off his uh, <laughs> his two boys, Marcus and Kefren, to, uh, to, to training. Let's just take a look at it. So, yeah, basically Lilian Turam being the embarrassing dad, uh, you know, to his uh, two talented young sons. But no, I mean, to see somebody like Kefren getting called up, uh, you know, <clears throat> recognizing his fantastic form with Nice, uh, you know, I think that's mm. great. And look at this squad now. It's loaded, uh, you know, with potential young talent. It is really, really exciting. I mean, it's Day -day. very, very, it's very, very early Nigel Rio Coca, but. Are we looking at them <laughs> as potential, uh, you know, dominators of, of world and European football? It's mm. not very early. I think with the quality that France have and the quality they still have in and all the leagues that these guys are playing, 
France should be favourite for the Euros and the World Cup for the next probably three or four cycles, I would say. Like, it's hard to argue with the talent that they have and at the clubs that they're playing at and the calibre that they're playing at and how good these players are. You know, Chelsea have got pretty much half the team in in there anyway. <laughs> uh, you've got Real Madrid, you've got like, it is what it is. And I, I'm just going to say, JJ, don't rule out Griezmann maybe retiring, mate. I know it sounds stupid mm. to you. Let's be real. This is the French we're talking about. Very passionate, very pride people. Proud people, let's see. I mean, though, come on, you've got Griezmann and Giroud. I mean, when oh, Giroud is still in the national team, I mean, surely he's still going to stick around. I, we'll see about that. But uh, <laughs> I mean, let's let's not forget as well with the squad, you've got no uh, William Saliba, no Wesley Fofana because they had to exactly. pull out injured. So you could even strengthen that defence as well. Mike Lahoud, are we believing that Camavinga is really going to be considered a, a defender here on out? He's going to be a fullback after that positional change during the World Cup. Strikes me as a bit of a weird one, a bit like Tim <laughs> Ware, although given that, Tim Way is not exactly prolific in front of goal. I can kind of buy into that one a little more than I can Camavinga. Camavinga has become the ultimate utility player around the world. We've seen it at a club level. We saw it in the World Cup. And I'm not going to give Nigel any props, but I'm becoming more of a believer in Camavinga since the World Cup at Real Madrid. Nigel, you did not influence me in that. My own yes, eyes did, did yes, watching did. the Champions League. That's if all I I'll didn't say, say it, it wouldn't have registered in your brain for your eyes to yes, pay attention. Yes, it would have. JJ, before we get into the arguments of arguments over nothing, I will say this. When you're a player within a squad, your value sometimes goes up more if you play multiple positions. You know the manager can trust you, or the manager knows he can trust you to throw you in anywhere on the field, and you're going to deliver. And I think Camavinga is becoming that sort of player for France. That's a, a fair point, and I think versatility is definitely something that, that Didier Deschamps appreciates. All right, well, uh, you know, throwing it ahead, looking at these qualifiers, you've got the Netherlands and Ireland uh, coming up for France. No Frankie de Jong, no uh, Steven Bergwijn for, mm. for the Dutch. Uh, and then you've got Evan Ferguson as well, Ireland's new hope. Now, obviously, we know all about the the Dutch, what to expect for them. You've got Koeman coming back for a second bite at the cherry. They're still loaded with a lot of talent. Perhaps didn't you know go as far as some of us expected, notably me, uh, at the World <laughs> Cup in uh, Qatar. But uh, they did get past the USMNT, much to to Mike's disappointment. But uh, you know, is this a, is this a team, Nigel Riokoka, that we're expecting you know big things from in these qualifiers, or do you think that there could be difficult times ahead for Kuman now that he's come back for his second spell in charge of uh, the Dutch national team? I think there'll be difficult times ahead. I think the Dutch, for me, still, they've got a, a great squad of players and abundance of talent, but they just seem to still, in my opinion, are missing that X factor. And I don't know how to describe it or put it into words. I know people will be like, oh, no, you know, they've got um, Gakpo. And they, no, it's they're still missing that real mm. X factor. And I think X is, a, X is in Zabi Simons. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> Thank you. I'm happy we're talking about this kid. Since Cody Gakpo left, this is the heir apparent at PSG. And I think the heir creative apparent in midfield. A good Dutch team has a creative attacking midfielder. I think at the World Cup, that's where they struggled. Too many of the same midfielders, Frankie de Jong being a cut above, but he's a deep lying playmaker. There was too much, there was not enough connectivity from midfield to front. And I think that's what hurt them at the end of the day. But if you can get Javi Simon games in the Euros or in these qualifiers, then I think it'll pay dividends at the Euros. Well, so you know, you disappoint. You've just contributed to what I was saying and then you just take over, but I like it. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I'm missing that X Factor. Michael and JJ brought in that X Factor. Nigel rests his case. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, disappointing any PSG fans listening out there. I'm not sure that Xavi Simons will be returning to Paris, but let's wait and see what the next couple of months have in store. Obviously, we do know that there is that possibility, that kind of gentleman's agreement alongside his contract that there could be a way for PSG to, to recuperate him from PSV. But given the way he's exploded, I don't think even staying at PSV is necessarily the uh, uh, the way forward for him to, to develop his career when you've got some of Europe's biggest clubs knocking on his door now. Uh, just before we go to a break, uh, we're going to throw it to the Premier League quickly, channel the spirit of James Benjamin here. Evan Ferguson, Ireland's new hope, and obviously producer oh, Des as well, making his glib comments in the chat about uh, Antoine Griezmann getting his decision uh, video ready about his potential. <laughs> Potential retirement, but uh, Nigel, how how highly do you rate Ferguson? Uh, you know, and is he somebody that could perhaps I don't know lead uh, Ireland on a, an international renaissance at some point in the future? I think it can. I think it is. I think for me again with Ireland, it's just been um, it's been a long process. I think that they've missed the ball in the sense of really developing the young players and stuff like that that they've got because they always have talent. But I think whether it's been a, a lack of cohesion in the development process and getting them out there playing and uh, continuing to build on momentum, that's gone missing. And again, if you, if you look at what Wales did, when Wales brought back some ex-players and got them involved in the system, Wales's rise isn't a shock. Wales's rise is because of development and recruiting and getting these players to want to represent Wales and, and really put an effort into the younger um, age groups and the, and, and the youth. Um, I think he can be definitely a, someone that can make a big difference, but they're going to need a lot more than just Evan Ferguson. And uh, let's see what they do next. Yeah, I agree with you, Nigel. I, I think that they have a real chance in terms of really developing the potential of a player like Evan Ferguson. Another player, Obafemi, up top. Look, if you're Ireland, you don't have the Roy Keynes. You missed out on Declan Rice. You missed out on JJ's um, wall banger of a hero, Jack Grealish. Um, and now you, you just are who you are. Get the ball forward and get it to your two best players who play up top. I think if you have Obafemi on one side, Ferguson on the other. Ferguson is becoming a more dependable goal scorer in the FA Cup. I mean, this guy scored a goal against league leaders Arsenal. So, you know, he's got a bit of stuff about him. I've got Des uh, coming up with a, an extended list of the players who have snubbed representing Ireland over other nations. And he's still oh, that's a, that's a long as, list. We don't have as, oh, as, exactly. And <laughs> as, we, as we go into the break, he's still typing. CBS Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. 
All right, everybody, welcome back. The soccer calendar never takes a break. Stay up to date with every story and every heart-pounding moment from the world's game with the Golasso Starting Eleven newsletter from CBS Sports. It's your ultimate guide to the beautiful game, taking you beyond the pitch and around the globe with expert analysis of everything that you need to know in the world of soccer. So sign up today for free at cbssports.com slash Golazzo. Once again, it's the Golazzo Starting Eleven newsletter and you can sign up for free at cbssports.com slash Golazzo. All right, guys, getting straight back into it with Euro 2024 qualifiers. Uh, and we're looking at the defending champions, Italy hosting England. Now we know that Marcus Rashford and Mason Mount are out with injury for the three lines. But what I'm actually really curious about heading into this one is that this is actually a really tricky group C, uh, you know, both for England and for Italy. I mean, obviously Italy uh, didn't qualify for the for the World Cup in Qatar, so they've already got a bit of pride to salvage. I like the fact that the first game off the bat is going to be a, a rematch of the 2020 Euro final against uh, against England. But you look at this group, I mean, you know, North Macedonia as well have managed to, to pull off their fair share of shocks in the last couple mm-hmm. of years as well. Just ask Germany. Uh, you know, Group C, does it have a making of being a, a group of death, Mike LaHood? Absolutely. You look at the the story that's being told in Italy. <laughs> There's revenge on their minds when they see North Macedonia on the list as well. I like the fact that this opens up with the rematch for a couple of reasons. An, a, a European championship or a major tournament without Italy, it's a bit odd. You know, they are one of the drama kings or queens of soccer around the world. And I'm looking to see if there's a bit of a renaissance in the Italian squad. You have much younger players coming in, but you still have some familiar names that I don't know if they're going to kind of roll out the carpet and give some players a chance. The fact that Skamaka is your lead striker or could be a starter, given what we've seen at West Ham, that gives me a bit of concern with Italy. And if you start players that haven't really delivered at club level and you're bypassing players that have been playing well in Serie A and around the world, then I think it could be more of the same. But I expect a response from Italy in this group. Who would you pick as the main striker, Mike, ahead of Skamaka then? I would go with, obviously, hmm. That's, That's a good one, Nitch. Yeah. That's the problem. <laughs> to be, to be fair, great Italian, I, I, I was going to say this. When you've watched the great Italian teams, one thing that Italy always had was a recognized striker. You're talking about all the strikers that they've had playing for Italy, the legends that have played there. Now, recently, they don't have that no more. They're struggling to produce that striker that's going to get goals. And I think that is one of the worrying things for Italy because obviously watching West Ham as well, Scamacca hasn't been great. And Italians have always been, yes, you know, they've always been well-organized, difficult, hard to beat. You know, their production when it comes to defenders is always great. Midfielders also is great. But they've always had the strikers. You're talking about Baggio's. You're talking about um, Vieri. You're talking about so many of the legends that have gone before. Now, in this generation, these periods for the past couple of years, they've struggled to produce a striker. And you hesitating, Mike, just tells you enough in the sense of what is the problem with Italy. Well, yeah, they've got they, quality coming through, though, surely, with uh, Gn- yeah. Gnonto, for example. I know you guys are yeah. going to wax lyrical about him in a minute. But, uh, I mean, also Grifo, I mean, <clears throat> you know, shout out to, to Ian Paul Joy, because I know that he'd get 
uh, really angry if we weren't praising Bundesliga <laughs> quality, but Grifo has, you know, he's been, pro- you know, I'm not going to say prolific no, been, scoring, been good. but consistently scoring in uh, in Germany the last couple of years. So, you know, perhaps what calling him prolific? up uh, is, is deserved. But AJ, also, you mean, need prolific. This is, this is Italy you're talking about. They've always had a prolific goal scorer. One of their star players has always been a goal scorer and they just haven't produced did a they, prolific, but, consistent but they, one in recent the last- years. At the last Euros, would you say that their their striker was prolific? No, they wasn't. But they, they grinded out results. But still, for winning, like you're talking about the World Cup. Like, yes, they won the European Championships. And obviously, they were under a lot of pressure. But still, when you look at them, when they come against better opposition, Italy has always had a prolific striker. I think that is a big thing that's missing, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think just to, to tie a bow on this, the fact that you don't have a go-to number nine is going to force maybe a lot of Italian teams are playing with that free-forming front three. You have wingers who can play in the pockets. You have attacking midfielders. I mean, Chiesa is playing further forward for events of the season, and he's already cashing in with goals and assists. So I wouldn't be surprised if they play with maybe a false nine and then two attacking midfielders underneath because that attacking crew, they, they can play that. You got Spinazzola back in the setup as well, who was so crucial in success in uh, Euro 2020 as well. So definitely want to, to keep an eye on. Or, well, we will move on to Group A and we've got New Look Spain uh, and Norway minus Erling Haaland. So Luis De La Fuente taking charge for the first time. Obviously, he re- replaced Luis Enrique after the World Cup. But Haaland out, I mean, it, it's you know, we were saying earlier about uh, you know potentially players not wanting to get injured ahead of the run-in in their respective domestic leagues. This is a huge blow for Norway because not only is it a tricky start to qualifying for them, both of their games being played away, to do it without their talisman, Erling Haaland, who, you know, let's be perfectly honest, you know, Norway perhaps have some decent players sort of you know, and maybe a bit underrated as a collective outside of Haaland. Uh, you know, obviously you've got Odegaard as well, who is, you know, a very high quality player. But, uh, you know, it's uh, it, it does feel like Norway are going to face a massively uphill task now uh, to get out of this group if they start off on the wrong foot without uh, Haaland. Do you, feel, do you feel this is completely down to, you know, the injury that he picked up against Burnley, Nigel Rio Coco, or do you think it's bearing in mind some of the big games that Man City have to play coming up just after the international break? They've got Bayern in the Champions League, got the FA Cup semi-final against Sheffield United, and obviously they're still in the title race as well against Arsenal. JJ, I think Pep's got in his ear and said, listen, kid, just remember where your bread is buttered, all right? Listen, national team, I understand, but it's just not going to quite work out for you right now. So just just come back here and relax. I need you, kid. I need you. That's what Pep said to him. That's what I had to say. If you, yeah. I watched Norway in one of the last qualifiers international games a while back or whether it was a, yeah, a, a Nations League game. It's nothing to sing and dance about. Haaland is not going to get the same service that he gets at Manchester City. Oligard, fantastic mm. player. And this is no disrespect to the rest of collectively, but they're not up there at that level of where they need to be. You talk about Norway, you talk about Oligard and Haaland, and that is it. And it's a different dynamic when you're playing international football. He's not getting the same service and he's not getting the same style of play that he's used to now at Manchester City. And like I said, I think that um, he's probably seen it himself, how important it is, because he wants to win the Champions League, I'm sure, wants to win the Premier League. And they've looked at it, whether people agree with it or not, They've probably turned around and said, you know what? Yeah, let me just save myself for uh, for domestic purposes. But it's going to be difficult for Norway. 
I think it's going to be difficult, but this is a marathon when it comes to qualification and not a sprint. And I, I think if Pep Guardiola has been in his ear or the national team manager has been in his ear, if the player's feeling uncomfortable, these aren't do or die games just yet. Erling Holland has a phenomenal goal record, both for club and for country, Nigeria Coker. He does get good service. Yes, I agree with you that it's not the quality of service that he gets in the Premier League, but there are some ballers and up-and-coming ballers in this Norway team. Without Holland, it'll have to be through the play of Martin Odegaard. One thing Odegaard has done much better this season is he's getting goals. He hasn't scored a goal for a while, but he'll have to have his shooting boots on for Norway if they're to get anything from these two games. Don't worry about what's been going on in the background here, guys. It's just the missus coming in to get some bleach for her ears every time <laughs> Nigel Riacocca throws something out there. <laughs> no, but I mean, let, let's uh, let, let's stick with that idea about Norway for a moment. Um, you look at that group, you would imagine that it's going to be between Spain, Scotland and Norway to potentially you know, finish in those top two spots. Obviously, we would consider Spain the the heavy favorite to finish at the top of the pile, but that is a big to me. That's a big opportunity for Norway to potentially get that second place uh, and qualify for the Euros. You can't and to not AJ, have Haaland. Don't write off Georgia because of one player. Don't write off Georgia. Don't write. No, off I'm not, Georgia. I'm not... You just smile. Don't write off Georgia because they gave Spain a run for their money, mate. Do not be fooled. But let's just say, listen, this is why we love. Yeah, football. But, yeah but everyone gave Spain a run for their money because Spain <laughs> never score against you. <laughs> oh man, this is funny. Spain, Spain needs Spain need two legs to score one goal. First game in the World Cup when it was it Costa Rica took a an absolute tonkey and everyone's going Sp- Spanish crazy, right? Or Spain crazy, should I say? Mm. Well, well, that's all their speaking, goals used up ahead of qualification. <laughs> yeah, speaking of Spain, I'm intrigued to see how the Spanish national team really perform at this Euros. They've gone a lot younger. A lot of the, the usual suspects you see aren't there. You still have the likes of Kepa, who, mm, uh, but when he puts on the Spain jersey, we'll see how he reacts to that. Okay, no De Gea. I get that decision. I don't agree with it, but as a United fan, I'll take it. Arrested De Gea will take, but in attack, the question still remains. Who is going to score those goals? Now, Danny Olmo not getting the, the, the run of games yeah, that we've Iago seen. Iago Oh, Iago's back. Oh, man, no. <laughs> it doesn't translate <laughs> for what he does itself to for the national team. I, I, I think Nico Williams, that is a player who I liked from the recent World Cup. I think that this could be the sort of platform that he thrives in being one of the go-to players. I mean, that's fair. Nigel, what did you make of uh, Sergio Ramos's comments where he came out and basically said, I got a call this morning from uh, from the new manager. He's told me I'm not going to be in the squad and that my international future is over. And it basically forced him out. Obviously, uh, you know, the season not going the way that he and PSG would have wanted going out of the Champions League, no Coupe de France as well. But to be fair to Ramos, he has proven that he still maybe has like one or two years left at some level quite close to the top. I wouldn't say necessarily in the Champions League anymore. Then again, he didn't look awful against Bayern as PSG went out. Do you think that it's a mistake maybe from uh, De La Fuente to leave out so many of these experienced heads? I think it's a big gamble. It's a big call. But I agree with you, JJ. I think Ramos has been one of the shining lights for Paris Saint-Germain in recent weeks. And like you said, his performance against Bayern Munich was great. I feel he's got a lot to offer, but... It seems like the new direction that Spain is taking now is this next generation. And like Michael said, the biggest problem with Spain still for me is I don't see them really defensively a problem or in midfield. They've got an abundance of talent. 
it's goal scoring. It's scoring a goal, putting the goal, putting the ball in the back of the net. That is the biggest problem with this Spanish team. Again, you can't talk about the talent that they have, but you can talk about, again, that lack of killer instincts, that lack of um, X factor that's needed most in the final third. They'll keep the ball. They'll play beautiful tiki-taki. They'll bore you to death with how beautiful football they play. But they're lacking that X factor putting into the back of the net in the final third. I think um, Ramos can feel hard done by, but he's not the first senior player or good top international that it's happened to. It happens to a lot of them at the end of the day. And this is the business that football is. You know, some nations, some countries, some clubs know how to treat their senior players and people who represent them for a long period of time way better than others do. And I think that you, you'd, you'd have to say he deserved better treatment than he has received from the national team right now for what he's done for Spain as an international. Even if you call him in to say these could be his last couple of games representing Spain, you just just make it nice, make him play and you know do something. Because I don't think he'll make a big difference to make Spain's style or system change dramatically if you take him in for these games and say, you know, these are going to be his last few internationals. But it's the game of football. Guys, keep those comments coming in. Just saw Rafa Cardenas throwing in there that Iglesias was a surprise omission from the squad. Totally agree with that. Uh, and it's difficult to see where the goals are going to come from for Spain. But the Spanish aren't the only team with a new manager in charge. And we'll get to more of that shortly. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast listen to mtv's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts you ready for this yeah if is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If ready PG. Welcome back, everybody. Well, right on to another team uh, who have a new manager in charge. Now you've got Portugal who have Roberto Martinez. Martinez obviously oversaw the disappointing World Cup with Belgium in Qatar, yet he's failed upwards many would say uh, and landed the Portugal job and he still finds himself with Cristiano Ronaldo who incidentally has hit the ground running with Al Nasser since he moved to Saudi Arabia. Mike Lahoud I'm coming to you first. What's more surprising that Roberto Martinez is now Portugal coach or that Ronaldo is still involved after what happened in the World Cup? Or both? That, Ron that Ronaldo is still involved. I know when Martinez got this job, we were all scratching our heads. But the fact that you have a player who is still holding on for dear life to the Portuguese national team, I think that hinders the growth and the development and really the opportunity that players who are younger that are ready to take the mantle of this Portuguese national team. Rafa Leal Leal. That's one player I think you need to just say, hey, get rid, Ronaldo, sorry, you've had your time. Thank you for what you've done to the national team and give this player a chance. Gonzalo Ramos, this guy is a baller. He's doing it in the Champions League. He, he's doing it in the Portuguese League. And I'm, I'm a bit disappointed in this decision, but I can also see it if you're a new manager. You don't want to ruffle every single feather by making a controversial decision like this. I think in time we'll see him phase out Ronaldo. Have you not been looking at his numbers, though, in Saudi Arabia? Nine goals in eight games. He's, like, he's only like six goals off of being top scorer in the league already. And Al Nasser, I think, are one point off of the top team. 
So yeah, it's uh, <laughs> I, I, I guess if we're going statistically, Ronaldo's still earning his uh, spot in this squad. Nigel Rio Coca, what do you make of it? Is this nonsense or uh, do you see the logic in Roberto Martinez sticking with uh, CRC? JJ, we've spoken about qualifications, how the game's changed, this and that, and I was baffled. This is another decision for me that I'm completely baffled on both ends as well. Like I'm, I'm still just trying to understand it, but I didn't make the decision, so it is what it is. But I agree with Mike. I think for me, it's a point of selfishness now. Is it really mm-hmm. that we're still on this desperation of marketing and everything else that goes on that you cannot see that there's a new generation of Portuguese players coming? They need to be brought through. They need to be playing to get the experience early now. Ronaldo is an absolute legend. He's a Portuguese great. But still putting him at this level and everything, and we saw it with our own eyes at the World Cup, it's a hindrance to the team. And it's a point of, is it? it's just for me, it's a point of, I believe it's just selfishness now. It's just complete selfishness now. There's a time, a moment that you have in your spotlight, and then there's a time just to bow out gracefully. He could bow out gracefully, but it's not his decision. I mean, whether it's, again, the Portuguese FA and if it's to do with marketing because he is Ronaldo, for me, you're just hindering yourself and you're stopping the progression of the great young talent you have coming through. It's just baffling. It really is baffling. And, you know, you said it that Martinez had a great opportunity with Belgium. And obviously some players made some comments which kind of let you know an insight on how that dressing room felt about the manager. And then he goes and gets this Portuguese job where, again, you've got a bunch of great young talent coming through. And it, it, it's, I don't know, it's, it's baffling for me. I think just a, a small caveat to remember as well, we talk about Ronaldo. He's 38 now. He'll be 39 at the next Euros. That's a massive gamble that you're taking in terms of the growth of some of the other players. With Roberto Martinez, though, he likes to play a back three. We saw that with the Belgian national team for his tenure. We could potentially see a freshening up of this Portuguese lineup or this roster. I don't know how that will translate to this Portuguese national team because just about every team outside of Sporting Lisbon plays some semblance of a 4-3-3. I know Sporting has that back three and they're doing well in the Europa League, but I just have a lot of questions about how he'll lead this team right now. Oh, you guys will be delighted to know then that Pepe is still in the squad. So that's two uh, semi-geriatric players that are going to be starting <laughs> in this Portuguese side. No, but do you know what, JJ? I'm going to defend Pepe though because the thing with Pepe is he's a defender. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. Well, I'm glad that you're doing this, though. So, what sets Pepe and Ronaldo apart? Except they play different positions, obviously. Pepe's Pepe's job is not to put the ball into the back of the net. It's to stop the ball getting into the back of the net, which for me is easier and achievable than that. When you're looking at the likes of Ronaldo, you're talking about the high demands of creativity, scoring goals, being able to go up there, and this and that. Pepe can really lead because. Pepe really is one of the best defenders to play the game. He knows the art of defending. He can teach the younger generation. We've seen Ronaldo recently go up there and supposed to be a leader. And all I've seen him do recently is throw his arms in the air, moan and this. And it just seems to be all about him. And if it's not all about him, it's not going to be a happy camp. And that's the problem you have. Pepe's just gone in, done his job, defended. And I think he can be very influential to the next generation because they can still learn from him. But I think Ronaldo, now it's time you bow out. Like Mike said, you have Rafael Leal. That team can be built around him and be very successful for a good couple of years to actually compete to win something. 
Yeah, one player just to touch on quickly, though, you can have Pepe in as the influential figure, as you said, but Pepe's injury problems this season, it comes with age, it comes with being a defender who's not afraid to get into tackles. One player, Gonzalo Inacio. We saw him play at the Emirates, standout performer in that back line against Arsenal. He's one to keep an eye on this Portugal squad. All right, guys, and then moving on from Portugal, who have a new coach, to Belgium, who have replaced Roberto Martinez. Obviously, this one was a bit of a surprise for me. Domenico Tedesco uh, moving over from club duty to international duty. No Eden Hazard anymore for Belgium. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne is the new captain. Mike Lahoud, going to ask you for your quick thoughts, followed by Nigel. Is this the right decision? Is this, the first of all, the right manager and also the, the right skipper for the Belgians? I can answer the easiest one. It's the right decision to name De Bruyne as captain. He was vice captain under Martinez. And there was a match I saw last year between, I think, the Netherlands and Belgium in Brussels. And you could just see a difference once De Bruyne was on the field as a captain. I mean, he scored goals, had assists. And as soon as Azard came on, it just deflated the team. It was almost this almost like this entitlement factor of, oh, well, well, he's in Hazard. Let's just keep him with the armband. I think this Belgian national team can now function in a healthier way. You know who your talisman is. You have younger players who are still coming through that can build around them, and I think you'll see more balance in the team. In terms of Tedesco, oof, I was very surprised by that decision because I, I think – when you have that much talent and there's still talent within this Belgian team, you, you need a manager who's going to command the respect of Kevin De Bruyne. I'm not sure if Tedesco is that sort of manager. Personally, I don't really give a damn. The golden generation of Belgium is gone. They're not going to win anything. So let's talk about Belgium a couple of years down the line. That's what I have to say. But De Bruyne is a captain I like, but I don't give a damn other than that. Look, I mean, you guys cannot accuse us of not delivering the best insight, cutting edge punditry from Nigel Rio Coco once again. Uh, all right, guys, final final thoughts, and obviously, um, uh, you know, we're we're close to, to to finishing up and wrapping up here. But there's been a couple of things that have uh, piqued the interest of uh, certainly of the online community the last uh, couple of days. Today, we had Meza Ertzel announcing his retirement. Going to get thoughts from both of you quickly on that. Is this a player where I mean, obviously, we had some great memories of Ertzel both at club level and internationally. But is he also a player who? perhaps didn't quite tap into the best of his potential ability because we saw flashes of his absolute genius at times, but it never really feels like we saw it over a consistent basis. I know that many feel he outstayed, uh, you know, either his welcome at Arsenal by the end or perhaps stayed a bit longer than he perhaps should have, uh, you know, with the Gunners. Nigel Ryokoka, is this uh, somebody who was a bit of a flawed genius? Talented player unbelievable natural ability, but he only played when he wanted to play. And the reality is when you play at the highest level, whether it's the, the top leagues in Europe or international um, level, you are required to do that week in, week out, week in, week out, whether you like it or not. And he just didn't want to do it week in, week out. I don't know him personally, but I'm not going to take away anything from the ability and talent that he had. And like you said, JJ, we just didn't see it enough. But when he wanted to play, wow, was he a force. I agree with you, Nigel. I He was one of my favorite players to watch at Real Madrid. I think one of the most underappreciated players in his prime. He's a player that had to give up his number 10 shirt for James Rodriguez when he was leading La Liga in assists year in and year out. Only Michael. player that I've seen in a lot. Only player. Let me finish this thought. Only player I've seen in a while who's what? Top 
the World Cup leading assist charts, top La Liga assist charts, top Premier League assist charts, top just about every league he's played in. There's an underappreciation for Mesut Ozil, but I agree with you, Nige, on the fact. Of okay. The- Talk oh. about that. I like that, Mike. I love that knowledge. <laughs> do not ever mention about giving up a damn shirt number again, all right? Because I'm going to lose respect for you if you do that again. As I was saying, as I was saying before, just a nasty draft came in that was just a bunch of noise in the form of Nigel Rio Coker. He didn't realize his full potential because I think he he didn't have enough players around him like he did in Madrid, like he did with the German national team during his time at Arsenal. There was a turbulent time for the club, and I think that's what cost him in the end. He was a big you know, baby. That's a, that, talking nonsense. That, he had talent around him. He just wasn't interested in playing at Arsenal. Like, let's not. Look at the leadership and the lack of leadership that was there. JJ, take it, take it. I'm not I'm not getting into it with this guy. Oh, no, no, Nigel's actually just touched upon something really interesting, so I'm going to try and crowbar it in here quickly. How important actually is numbers like in in, in a professional footballer's career? Like apparently, when you pick your JJ, shirt number. Apparently to JJJ, to Michael, it's everything. It depends who you are and which club you're at. When you're the number 10, when you're the attacking midfielder, when you've waited a while, I mean, this guy didn't even get the number 10 jersey for Germany. When you've waited a while, there's something about being the number 10 at Real Madrid that is prolific and it's earning (laughs) respect that's given to you by the club. So I think for a player like him, I think that mattered. Nigeria okay. Coco, what was your what was your favorite number? What was the the number that you would go to war for with your my first? Teammates? No, the only thing, the only number that mattered to me the most was my first number that I had when I made my yeah. debut, and it was number twenty. That's it. But I'm not going to go to another club and say oh, I want to be number twenty. If it was empty, then yeah. But other than that, I'm not bothered. If I have to give a number twenty, it doesn't bother me. You're well, judged on the football. Like, luckily for you, not that many people would have been fighting over number 20 anyway. I Similar to Nige, I my first number that I was ever given um, was the only number that I really had an attachment to. Uh, but I want to just turn and pivot to that to talk about my final thoughts. Sierra Leone, I know we're going to talk about Messi in a bit, but Sierra Leone, country of my birth, country of Nigeria Coker's heritage, is playing today, African Cup of Nations qualifier. Cannot wait after the show to, to just celebrate, hopefully, a win over Sao Tome. Love African football, as I always say, when there's a chance to talk about it. And come on, you Leon stars, do not disappoint me. I've got African food in the fridge. Finally, let's go. When I now, get a Mike, manager's Mike, job there or coach job there, then we'll be successful, mate. I was just saying. Uh, Mike, Mike Lahoud hitting us in the fields because obviously uh, the it wasn't the only retirement that we've seen this week from uh, Mezzo Erza. We had Emmanuel Adebayor as well. And linking that to Sierra Leone, I saw a fantastic photo of uh, Mo Callon, the legendary Ooh. former Sierra Leone footballer, celebrating a goal with Emmanuel Adebayor. So obviously that brings back lots of memories and ties it in nicely with Ligon as well. But you did promise us some Lionel Messi. Now, we've seen some crazy scenes the last couple of days where Messi tried to go out for dinner in Buenos Aires, got absolutely mobbed. Is this basically what happens when it, whenever you go out for, for dinner, Nige? Is this what we can expect if, Mes- if Messi ever goes to Inter, <laughs> Inter Miami? Is this what's going to be happening? Well, he already got mobbed when he came to, to Miami. He goes to an Argentinian steakhouse and stuff. But I think in Miami, you can kind of disappear a lot as well because remember, you've got baseball players, NFL players, and Hollywood people down in Miami. So, yeah, but I don't go out a lot. I don't even like people in genuine anyway, so I just stay at home. 
These are all lies. I just want to confirm that because <laughs> if you can see in the – no, just kidding. Uh, this is what happens. This is the territory when you are a national icon. It's one thing to become a national hero, which Messi was, but since winning the World Cup, he has become a national icon, revered next to almost in the same capacity of Diego Maradona. This wow. is just that deity status that he has now in the country. Yes, I said it. Yes, I said it. You said yeah, what? It certainly looks like it was somebody's Dolmio day in that restaurant there. You know what? They don't do that in Ubi Eats there, that restaurant. Ubi Eats. <laughs> <laughs> it's either, either that or it's a scene from like Walking Dead or something outside with all those people, uh, you know, trying to reach out and grab him. Guys, that is all for us today. Thanks so much for joining me, Nigel Riokoka and Mike Lahoud. And thanks so much to you guys as well for listening to House of Champions. Please take a minute to leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Anywhere that you listen to your podcasts, we're also available as videos. Hey, subscribe to us on YouTube as well. And final, final, final thought from Nigel Riokoka. <laughs> what do you want? Ali A. Maradona for me, mate. Maradona was a yeah. real people. <laughs> I love Messi. I love, love Messi. I think Messi's sensational. But I just felt that with Maradona, we really knew who Maradona was. Like, we really mm. felt who Maradona was. I'll, I'll, I'll pick Maradona. I'm sorry. And on that note, we'll be back next week, Monday, to be precise. See you then. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!